0: Hi, and welcome to Talk of the Town After Hours. I'm Grace Fairchild for WVBR News.
1: And I'm Jay Bradley, News Director for WICB, across over on the other hill.
0: This week's episode of Talk of the Town is a collaboration with WICB's News Department, and the theme is Reopening in Ithaca. So every segment today will have something to do with life in Ithaca through the transition between pandemic world and normal times, and what this new normal will look like.
1: We'll be taking a look at how people are reacting to things reopening and vaccines being distributed, the different difficulties for managing mental health as the pandemic takes different shapes, how work and schooling have changed, and more.
0: But up first, WVBR news correspondent Clara Enders and WICB news correspondent Celine Tutar examined how a major art form for the area is getting ready to make its in-person return. Summer is right around the corner, which means that local
2: theatres are preparing to raise the curtain on another exciting season of local production. The Ithaca
3: area is usually a hub for live events.
2: From concerts to festivals, college gatherings and more, something was always going on.
3: Needless to say, that has been different over this last year. But with safety measures in place and vaccinations rolling out, some of these are gearing to make a comeback.
2: And that includes live theatre. Ithaca's different theater organizations and stages, after a year of mostly virtual performances, are now looking at a return to the in-person theater, along with a creative mix of virtual options. I can't wait to go and sit in the audience.
3: The arts have been in the national news lately, specifically regarding the complications with the Save Our Stages Act, a bill passed in December that was supposed to provide $16 billion in relief funding to arts organizations. The portal launched on April 8th, And has been met with website issues ever since. It's now more important than ever to support the arts, especially local ones.
2: But now that things are reopening, a full season is on its way. The Hangar Theatre is performing five main stage shows outdoors this summer, including Sweeney Todd and Once, The Kitchen Theatre has plays and streams lined up, and The Cherry has a new walking play premiering at the end of May. Also at the schools, Ithaca College's Dillon Camp Performances and Cornell's Department of Performing Arts
3: and Media Arts are both back with film stage performances open to public viewing over
2: streaming. To hear more about these upcoming shows, I sat down with the artistic director of The Hangar, Shirley Sorotsky, and their managing director, R.J. Levine, who told me about the adjustments they had to make to keep operating during the pandemic and how excited they are for reopenings to begin. And I talked to Marissa Cordino,
3: the connectivity associate and house manager of Kitchen Theatre. She gave me some insights into how the transition into the pandemic has been for Kitchen and what they have in store for
2: the upcoming summer. Both theatres had a rough patch when the pandemic first started. They had to pause their in-person performances. For Hanger, the last performance with a full cast and audience was in December 2019, a production of A Christmas Carol. For Kitchen... It was Cry It Out, which they wrapped up right before the pandemic closed everything down. To keep up with the times, both companies
3: switched to a different style, virtual productions. Hanger held some main stage presentations, the kitchen did table reads, and both tried to make the most out of operating remotely. Shirley says that the Hanger held five different shows online this last year, plus a fully remote educational program that she says despite being remote was a good experience.
4: And that was fulfilling in many ways. It was wonderful to experience a human connection. It was wonderful to to witness and watch young artists also find a way to create and um, make magic happen, even on a virtual virtual platform. But we certainly, by the end of the summer, we were like, OK, we've done our virtual work.
2: Although virtual productions and programming were useful for the past year, Marissa shared the sentiment of wanting to get back, something that is shared by many in the audience.
5: I think a lot of the scripts we work with are are fantastic works and really speak for, <clears throat> excuse me, really speak for themselves. But there is something about seeing it done in person that is really, really touching and, and really heartwarming and really, they're really effective. But as I mentioned, the general consensus amongst patrons and consumers is that we're tired of Zoom. (laughs) We want in person, we want to experience the story in real time and see the expressions on the actors' faces in person.
3: As exciting it is to open back in-person productions, a new set of challenges present themselves. Now the theaters have to follow social distancing protocols and address safety concerns.
2: An outdoor stage helps with this, so both plan to do that for in-person shows. But it brought along questions about seating and picking the appropriate scripts. RJ explained to me that while it's been a learning experience for The Hangar, and while it may not be what people are used to, it will offer audiences all of the benefits of live theater again.
6: But the audience will be uncovered um, sort of under the summer stars, out in the open air, and... um, We came again. These were all questions we had. You know, when I first started, we were talking about building a pavilion and maybe having a stage under there. And like once we got there and we started talking about it, we decided, no, we're going to really lean into the fact that this is outdoor theater. We're not going to try to create an indoor space outside. We really wanted this to be its own unique space so that the audience can have their own, you know, that that unique experience of
2: outdoor theater. R.J. says for the audience, there will be special seating and tables to make sure people stay dry and comfortable. And that the hangar is still working with their nationally recognized scenic and lighting designer to maximize what they can do in the new space. Um, So we came up with a plan that we thought
6: really fit our vision that was nebulous at first. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of nitty gritty that still needs to be done. How do we get electricity out there? What are we doing about a sound booth, a concession stand, and, and
3: our permits? For Kitchen, figuring out a new seating arrangement was the challenge. They teamed up with Hangar to learn from each other's plans and implement outdoor seating safely.
5: And the hanger, you know, the hangar's is doing a really incredible summer season, um, that I think a lot of people are really, really excited about. You know, we've taken their, their seating chart, um, came out the, um, in terms of the social distancing and we use the same ticketing platform, actually, the hangar in the kitchen. And so, um, those were conversations that we had with them being like, how did you, how did you implement this? And that's something that's been so great about the Ithaca theater community during this time is that the support that Everyone has felt between the organizations, between the patrons, has been incredible. And we're just so grateful that everybody is really, really there
2: to
4: help one another, you know.
2: And not just the audience has to worry about the logistics. Shirley said that they are, too.
4: Having very big questions still in terms of what it was going to mean to produce and follow um responsibly with with COVID still, you know, knowing we would still be in some phase of the pandemic. Uh, what we could figure out is with a plan of producing outdoors, we are still using our indoor dressing rooms. And with social distancing, we came to like the cast size of 12 that we would, we knew we could not have any show that had a larger cast than 12.
2: Even though circumstances are a bit different, Hanger wants to keep some old traditions alive. Every summer, The Hangar produces its Kids Stuff series of theater for young audiences, which also went virtual last year, but is back in person in 2021. R.J. Levine explained just how anticipated this return to live theater for families is. I'll just say, as a parent myself, <laughs> we are so excited to get the kids out of the house. Um,
6: no, but honestly, the... Uh, <laughs> the No, but really, really, Uh, (laughs) honestly, I I think it's going to be a great. It's going to be I think I think families are going to embrace it. That's what I hope for anyway, that um, they can safely take their kids back to theater and enjoy the same kind of theater experiences. I mean, anybody any the theater experiences that they um, that they had before the pandemic, Um, you know, everybody who went through. Last year's abrupt, um, transition to online schooling, um, knows that,
2: uh, that's, that was rough. That was rough for kids. It was rough for parents. And Shirley added how the kids stuff performances might just be a perfect match for a relaxed outdoor venue.
4: You almost never get a play for, for young audiences that is like, set in a living room and super realistic, um, which is great, which I love. Uh, so those plays actually really easily translated to the outdoor space. I'll also say that I think one of the benefits of being outdoors, um, one of the things that's important to me for – welcoming young people into the theater is that they don't feel like they have to behave a certain way. We kind of got into that mindset for generations of like coming into the theater means that like it has this certain set of uh, ways that you act in the theater. And I think that that's become a real barrier to um some families and young people um for many different reasons. And I'm hoping that that actually having that, that out, that the freedom of the outdoors will actually, you know, ease everyone's, relax everybody a little in that way.
3: All of the changes though, presented an extra challenge, keeping these businesses alive financially. RJ, Hanger's managing director is an Ithaca native and has a background in nonprofit management. They say that theater's inherent creativity and innovative nature led to resilience in Hanger's programming. Marissa, who spoke for Kitchen, highlighted her appreciation for the dedicated audiences and patrons for keeping them afloat during the tough times, as well as national grants they received from the National Endowment of Arts.
5: Businesses that rely on in-person, um, in-person interaction in commerce, of course. You know, you're always like, how is the theater and how is our business going to see through to the next moment? But um, as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're very optimistic and we're very grateful for our patrons um, continuing to support us, even though online experiences are not uh, particularly what they have an appetite for.
2: The theaters are looking forward to connecting with their audiences in person again and delivering special experiences in their upcoming productions. And both those running the show and coming to see it, note that the art form is important to the community. I think the biggest thing is that people are ready for it. <laughs> people are
5: are um, completely and utterly ready to return to normalcy. you know our, our mission at the theater is to create bold, intimate and engaging theater that sparks important conversations.
4: I fully believe that theater can be really powerful when you experience a story about people who are very different from you or have a lifestyle that, that is, is, you know, not something that is immediately familiar. But at the same time, we do need to recognize that those stories can come from all places. Um, uh, so so I think to me, really um, asking what are the stories that are important to this community? What are the ways in which we are interested in telling stories? What particular art forms are interesting to Uh, and to to Ithaca um, and to the people in Ithaca. uh, So even in like, and finding ways to work with different community groups to highlight that feels really important.
3: This summer, the Ithaca theater scene may not be quite what the audience is remembered as, but the show must go on. New innovations promise to bring just as much excitement and artistry to local stages than ever before. You can find more information on Hangar Theatre at hangartheatre.org or on Instagram at Theatre. Find the Kitchen Theatre online at kitchentheater.org and on Instagram at kitchen theater Company. For WICB and WVBR
2: News, I'm Celine Tash, And I'm Clara Enders. This is Izzy Fribata reporting alongside Jay Bradley. Together, we asked people around the Cornell and Ithaca College campuses, in light of declining case numbers and increasing vaccinations, how they felt about things slowly reopening and returning to normal. This is what they told us.
0: I'm excited about things opening up again.
2: I'm very excited for
7: things opening back up, but I'm a little hesitant at the pace that things are opening back up, especially just with safety measures and precautions that are kind of being thrown out the window.
8: I think that things are opening back up again, and it's mostly fine. It's definitely rushed, of course, to get as much business and everything going as well as it can. But I think that a lot of the ways that places are opening back up is uh, much more thought out than they were at times in the past.
9: I think we should still take it slow and definitely follow the rules, even with vaccinations going on, but can't wait to go back to a real new normal.
1: Being back in person and um, having more student-teacher interactions uh, is very important for learning outcomes. So I am all for opening things back up and getting rolling with our normal methods.
10: Especially getting together with my family that has been held in abeyance for for more than a year. And so that feels good. I'm back uh, on campus for a little visit, and that also feels wonderful.
11: Just a whole bunch of emotions. I'm I'm scared, but I'm also ready, and I'm happy that we're, you know, um, moving forward with the vaccine and moving forward with just ways of trying to beat this thing. Um, So... You know, I'm happy about the reopening, but I'm also going to have my guard up.
2: As reopening continues, only time will tell whether we'll successfully walk the line between caution and optimism. Until then, Ithacans look forward to the day when the pandemic is well and truly a thing of the past.
1: With things opening up again, though, situations have changed for many people. Even with schools back in person and businesses and events opening up again, many people are still facing mental health issues.
0: WICB News Correspondents Christian Maitri, Himadri Saith, and I took a hard look at how the pandemic has impacted mental health and how it will continue to change through reopening. Students experience intense academic, career, and social pressures during a normal year, and college campus environments often contribute to mental health issues. To no one's surprise, COVID is now exacerbating these pre existing causes. While we all continue to grapple with the pandemic's emotional toll, both Ithaca College and Cornell University have lost undergraduate students unexpectedly this spring. At Ithaca College, junior applied psychology major Abby Packett died on March 30th. Then, on April 9th, Cornell freshman computer science major Sean West was found deceased in a dorm on North Campus. While individual students react to these tragedies differently, the community grief is palpable. And on top of it all, both Cornell and IC have elected not to give students as many days off this year to discourage students from leaving the Ithaca area and transmitting COVID. Administrations at both schools did away with spring break and instead instituted mental health or wellness days without class in the middle of the week, spaced in different weeks throughout the semester. Ithaca College gave students eight wellness days off from January through May, and Cornell gave just four. With fewer and no consecutive days off, limited social interactions, online instruction, and tragedy mounting, many students on campus are having a tough time. I personally
12: have progressively gotten more and more nervous and anxious when I go out having to do things in public spaces.
13: That's Mac, a junior at IC, one of many students whose mental health changed once COVID hit.
12: But as somebody who is very much out and vocal about LGBTQ activism on campus, I'm not out to my parents. That made it really hard being home for such a long period of time and wanting to go back to Ithaca to finish, not even finish, but like really solidify who I was and have that room to figure myself out and experiment. And being stuck at home made that impossible. I don't want to get my partner sick because he's higher risk because of his asthma. So it's not entirely anxious for myself, it's anxious for the people around me.
13: But once people started to get vaccinated, some of their anxiety around COVID
12: improved. I don't feel as panicked or as nervous like going to the grocery store or like running to Walmart when it's crowded, which is a really nice relief to have. Still sometimes have to do the breathing exercises, <laughs> but for the most part, um it's nice to not be as concerned because I know most people are vaccinated at this point. I have a parent who works in a hospital like in their laboratories um in Pennsylvania where they've been doing COVID testing. I Got a lot of firsthand information from her in terms of like stuff coming directly from the CDC and stuff that hospitals were working on together, um, which made me a lot less nervous about the COVID vaccine.
13: Similar to other students, Mac utilized CAP services provided by Ithaca College.
12: My CAPS counselor and I have talked about ways to control my breathing or control like anxious thoughts and things like that so that I'm not having another panic attack in the middle of Wegmans.
0: Students have suffered from a myriad of mental illness issues on the other side of the hill as well. Personally, I've struggled this past academic year with working myself past the point of burnout. Every day I completed my classes, extracurriculars, and job from my small bedroom, and some days I did not leave my apartment or talk to people. When I returned to Cornell this January, I did not feel ready to take on the spring semester. Apparently, this feeling was not uncommon.
7: The Associate Director of Ithaca College's Center for Counseling and Psychological Services, or CAPS, Sasha Lerner, says that during the fall, when ICU was fully remote... Anxiety and depression was
10: getting worse and kind of worse and worse during that time, and people were feeling more and more isolated and hopeless.
7: Along with vaccination, being able to now see people in person has helped a lot, even with it being still limited. But for many, things have changed.
10: For the students I'm working with who have come back to campus, it seems like it's helped them a lot. Um, One interesting thing is that you know I've noticed that certain students who, let's say, used to used to tell me that they um, hated to spend time alone. For example, they had to spend so much time alone when they were home that when they come back to campus, they almost feel overwhelmed by all the people around them and all of like this all the stimulation. It's really kind of changed people's orientation to socializing in some ways. It's really interesting.
7: Dr. Lerner said that all her friends who are also in psychology practice, whether they're involved with students or not, have been, quote, busier than ever, unquote. She says that normal coping strategies for many people being taken away by the pandemic, like going to the gym, seeing friends, or seeing an in-person therapist has been tough, but has proved helpful for some.
10: I think for a lot of people, it made them realize kind of how much they were leaning on those things to kind of keep them going. Um, And I think for for a lot of people, maybe forced them to kind of face certain things that maybe they had been ignored. Maybe they had been able to ignore for a long time because they had those strategies in place.
0: In the face of increased demand for counseling services, Cornell's CAPS program is having trouble keeping up. For non-emergencies, students wait three to four weeks to be seen by a therapist. After waiting three weeks to be seen back in March, the counselor I spoke to referred me to private practice therapy within five minutes of our appointment because her caseload was too large. In Ithaca, that means waiting two to three months to get in with a private practice therapist, and it can cost upwards of $100 per session. And even external to the pandemic's impacts, Cornell's mental health resources are shrinking. In February, the student-led peer-to-peer counseling system called EARS was canceled by administration once they realized the program was not covered by the university's liability insurance.
7: New strategies, though, like telehealth appointments or meeting with help remotely in other ways have emerged to help people in different ways, even though it can't fully fill the gap for everyone. Ithaca College's CAPS is still remote, but is looking to be back in person in fall.
10: I think most of the students have adapted really well to it. Um, you know, I think when you're on Zoom all day long for classes and then you're on Zoom for therapy, it probably starts to get a little bit old and a little bit much, but um, I think most students have adapted really well. And I, I haven't really asked a lot of students that I'm seeing, like, how would you feel if if we kept seeing each other on telehealth? But um, I think there's like a good portion of people who would really like to be back in person, and I think there's some that wouldn't mind staying online because it's kind of convenient. Like you don't have like you don't have to worry about the travel time, and you can you can kind of do it from anywhere on campus if as long as you feel like you have some privacy and um, it's very, it's very accessible in that way.
0: Cornell's cap services have gone virtual as well, but administration has also gotten creative with stress relief strategies. In the days following the death of freshman Sean West, Vice Provost Lisa Nishi announced that students would be able to drop any course without a withdrawal transcript mark until May 14th. And while this relieves some amount of immediate academic pressure, the pandemic's impacts on mental health still remain. Dr. Lerner said that the biggest problem
7: she thinks most students are facing right now is being overwhelmed with everything going on, from their personal lives to the world and politics. But she feels hopeful as more get vaccinated. And feeling like
10: more hopeful about the future, and like you know, some some jobs are going back to in person, and getting ready, and coming back to campus in person, and um, I don't It's start. It's starting to feel like people are able to feel hopeful again. Whereas I feel like a year ago, everyone was very afraid to be hopeful because they didn't want to be disappointed and they kept getting disappointed. Um, So that makes me feel very hopeful too for them.
7: If you or a loved one are experiencing struggles with mental health, Dr. Lerner says.
10: Try to be aware of like what your own personal uh, kind of signs are for when you you know that you're not doing well. I think we all have our own kind of markers of what tells us like, oh, okay, I'm I'm starting to kind of slip and slide here. and to and to and to ask for help if you need it, you know. Um, I think with everyone, like I said, with everyone being so overwhelmed, like it's great to ask family or friends. But sometimes we do need somebody else to kind of be there for us, like counselor, even if it's just one or two times, you know. Finding things to be grateful for, um, trying to keep in mind like what really matters to you, like like at the end of the day what's most important to you and try to focus on on those things. And also like, just because the pandemic's happening, I've also seen people have really, um, have opportunities come to them. They, they never expected would come to them even during the pandemic. So just to keep in mind, like even though things are different, doesn't mean that everything has come to a total stop and there's still a way to
7: find joy. So whether it's you or someone else, remember that it's okay to ask for help the pandemic has affected everyone in different ways. And even a delayed reaction is very normal.
10: That's not pathological. I feel like that's that's to be expected.
7: For WVBR and WICB News, I'm Himadri Sate.
6: I'm Christian Matry.
7: And I'm Grace Fairchild.
1: Companies and schools across the world have been forced to experiment with new strategies and practices to make sure that workers, customers and students feel safe during the pandemic.
0: WVBR's Jade Ovadia and ICB's Vedanta Kari took a look at how these changes may stay in the future and how they have led to challenges for some demographics.
1: I also contributed to this report.
14: This last year was unlike any before. With COVID-19 pushing things remotely, we've seen so many types of work change drastically. From schoolwork to meetings, work has changed for so many people and will lead to changes and impacts that we'll see even after COVID is gone.
13: But the impact of the pandemic has been uneven. While some people are benefiting from more flexibility, Other groups are facing new shortfalls and challenges.
15: All the inequalities come up even more when you have a disaster such as Katrina, you know, or in this case, a pandemic. This is when the inequalities actually show. Similar with socioeconomic status, with race, gender. You also have to add that, you know, you might have parents that are also have children with special needs.
13: That's Dr. Pena Schaff, a psychology professor at Ithaca College. Previously, she worked as a special education teacher and has a PhD in educational psychology from Cornell University.
15: Not only in terms of a special needs, but even with healthcare. Uh, basically most of the medical offices were also closed for the longest time. So children miss on checkups and treatments and and things that they really needed.
14: Women and children have faced unique challenges during the pandemic. Having to act as caretakers in this new environment without any outside help has been hard. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, nearly 1.8 million men have left the job market since the onset of the pandemic. But for women, that number was 2.5 million.
16: Women and even more so women of color have borne the brand of the pandemic. Because they are disproportionately in these frontline essential jobs that I just mentioned, and they're disproportionately responsible for childcare and elder care.
14: That's Professor Rosemary Batt, a professor in human resource studies and international and comparative labor at Cornell University's ILR School. She says that women dropping out of the workforce is something of great concern.
16: Because the research shows that People who have long-term bouts of unemployment have a much harder time returning to the labor um, workforce and also may never recover in terms of their lifelong earnings.
13: She adds that there are many policies, like those pitched by the Society for Human Resource Management and the Working Families Party that can help and support these displaced workers. She says this could include rehauling the ways leaves from work are handled and changing hiring practices. Plus, something we've started to see more of in the advent of
16: remote work. Hours and schedule flexibility based on workers' needs rather than management's are really, really important. More so in the pandemic because... Women have to now juggle childcare much more. They have children at home. They have elders who may be sick. So all of those demands have exploded, and they need flexibility um, on their own terms. And management is not – that's a kind of more invisible issue that often managers – don't agree with. It's like, well, we have a job to be done. We've got to get it done. You've got to be here at work or you've got to be at home at working and do not feel that flexibility is important.
13: Not only is flexibility crucial for these workers who now have to balance their work and home life in the same space, but national policies like paid sick leave and family leave are also key.
16: Paid sick leave, paid family leave. Better predictable scheduling, stable hours of work and scheduling. These are basic policies. Again, they will help everyone, but disproportionately women and women of color.
15: Women are missing out
16: a lot. Some of them had had to or had decided to quit
15: their job so they can take care of. Children, while their partner does um, their work. In terms of academia, we are also seeing that in terms of publications, okay, and a scholarship. Something has to give.
13: For women, the pandemic is also more statistically challenging on a mental level.
15: Gender also seems to be another variable that influences the levels of uh, negative emotions in adolescents, with females being more affected than males
13: another group at higher risk during the pandemic is adolescents and especially young children last december i found out that my cousin is attending kindergarten on zoom and although she loves her zoom classes this is a complete 180 from my elementary school days So when I found out, I couldn't help but wonder how this upcoming generation is going to cope with spending their primary years indoors on Zoom and what the ramifications are for kids once they exit this pandemic.
15: I think that maybe those younger children are the ones that, and this is just speculation, but might not suffer as much as older children, mostly if they can spend time with their Caregivers and they have that interaction. If anything, we're going to see that that attachment might actually be even stronger because parents might be able to spend more time with their children. However, there's also other sorts of variables that we have to keep in mind there too, because we also have to consider parents' levels of stress and being now full time caregivers.
14: A proposed solution is child care reform, but not everyone is on board.
16: In Biden's recent proposals on, Massive funding for infrastructure. There are a lot of um, more conservative people who say, "Well, childcare is not infrastructure. Childcare is essential social infrastructure that really helps employers because if you get subsidized and available and safe childcare for working people, employers will benefit. Absenteeism rates will go down." uh, productivity will go up, predictability, all of the things that employers want. Employers can't provide that on their own because it's very, very costly. But if the government provides a public-private partnership that brings together the public policies, along with the private sector policies, then we can really move forward to have solutions around the childcare issue.
13: Dr. Pena Schaff mentions the effect of back-to-back losses on not just students but also on their families.
15: You're talking about changes in the school and the continuity of learning and how much they're missing this year, you know, socially and academically, also. Some of them have made significant life events, you know, birthdays, graduation celebrations, and the loss of security and safety for some populations. There are additional burdens or stressors in addition to COVID-19. You're talking about income and access to resources, but also all the racist issues that had been going on. When you're thinking about family experience with loss, you know, we can talk about the loss of caregiver, of of people we love, but also maybe the loss of employment.
13: With the vaccination drive going strong and reopening looking like a possibility on the horizon, things might be closer than ever in the past year to going back to quote unquote normal. But the lack of adequate policy intervention and of accommodations within individual firms for their employees, has only come to show that there is still a lot of work to be done to ensure equal and fair treatment of workers. For WVBR and WICB News, I'm Vedanta Kari And
14: I'm Jado Vadia.
1: Now that vaccines are open to all adults in the U.S., Many are hopeful that this will finally be the last push to get everything open again safely.
0: I've been fascinated by the different ways that people have gotten vaccinated. So I went and collected a few stories. Hey, Everett, how did you get vaccinated?
8: Uh, I got the Moderna vaccine at the Walgreens. That's like a bit north of College Town. And I Ubered there and then walked back because the surge pricing was terrible. Um, I went with Jen, my girlfriend. We booked it like on like the first day that we could. Um, our vaccine appointment said we were gonna get Pfizer, but then it was Moderna. I was fine afterwards. I was like a little bit sore, but my girlfriend was like knocked out for the day. Um, uh, I guess that's about it. Great job. Thanks. Mm-hmm.
0: Hey, Kylie, how did you get vaccinated? Yeah, so I went today with my housemate. Um, he's a master's student and we both wanted to get vaccinated. We went to TC3. And it was run by the National Guard, which was a little bit uncomfortable um, just seeing so many uniforms around, but I was glad to start getting vaccinated. Hey, Emily, how did you get vaccinated?
9: So my friend drove us to Cortland. It was like a 30 minute drive and overall it was a really quick process. We signed up the day that everyone over 18, I think was eligible. Um, so we drove to Cortland and we were in and out in like 20 minutes. Um, even including the 15 minute wait period and overall is really good. Did it hurt? Nope.
14: Nope. Not at all. You're so brave. This is Jade Ovadia reporting for WVBR. On February 16th, I received an email from Cornell University stating that as a residential advisor, I would now qualify for the COVID-19 vaccination phase one B group. In the email was a link to the Ithaca Mall vaccination clinic appointment website which I proceeded to check every hour for 10 days till I acquired an appointment for March 2nd. On March 2nd, I enthusiastically arrived at the Ithaca Mall for my first dose. Located inside an abandoned department store was what felt like the first steps towards a post-pandemic life. After waiting in a chair for an hour, I was directed to enter a makeshift room, While typically I'm not a fan of needles, I had a smile on my face from ear to ear as I received the jab. I was similarly overjoyed as I stepped off the TCAP for a second time on March 31st for my second dose. It felt as if the sun had finally begun to shine again after a long and very cloudy year.
9: Hey, Melina, how did you get vaccinated? Hey, Grace. Um, So I have been working with Cornell dining for about a year and a half um, and it was probably like beginning of February so all student employees got an email um, saying that we were eligible to get vaccinated because New York State had begun vaccinating restaurant workers and dining uh, like dining halls were considered part of that but the email said that there were no available appointments in Ithaca yet because Ithaca had like a low number of vaccines available But there were spots in uh, Binghamton and Syracuse that were opening up. So I was able to get a spot in Binghamton. And I got my first dose, I think, March 1st, like right at the beginning of March. So I just bought a bus ticket there and back because I didn't have my car with me and just relied on public transportation. Um, And then the second dose, so you are supposed to get your second dose in the same location as the first dose. So I would have to go back to Bing again. So, so, for the first dose, I bought my bus tickets out of pocket, um, and for the second dose, at first, I bought my own tickets. Uh, and then my friend forwarded me an article saying that uh, it, the because Department of Health would pay for your bus tickets if you could show your vaccine registration and, like, verify that that's what you're, what you're going for. Um, so, I called them and got them to pay for my bus tickets. So I went to Bing, I got my second dose, everything was fine. And then the next day, I get a call from Cornell health saying that someone on the bus back from Binghamton uh, had tested positive for COVID. And everyone was exposed and we needed to quarantine basically. Um, And again, like at that point, I just got my second dose, everyone on the bus was wearing masks and No one was allowed to sit next to each other. They were all like on opposite sides of the bus. And even the people at Cornell Health that called me knew that there was a very low chance that I was actually infected, but they were just doing it as a safety precaution. They gave me a couple hours to gather all my stuff, and they sent um, transportation and moved me to one of the nearby hotels. And I had to stay there for 10 days, they told me. That's the story. (laughs) What a time.
8: I went all the way up to Potsdam up near Canada to get my vaccine. My friend, he was already going up there. I found out I was eligible and I asked around if anyone could give me a ride because I don't have a car. And he said, yeah, I'm glad that I got it. Uh, I'm glad that I got it so early also. Um, Yeah, it's been a long time coming.
0: Hey, Sakura, where'd we go? We went to Corning, New York. And what did we do there? We got our vaccine, And then we got breakfast. Yes, we got
3: breakfast crates at this cute little cafe. And then we went to this resale
0: store, bought some cute, whimsical objects. And met a lady who was 83. Yes. Our last segment about reopening in Ithaca is about the return of sports to Cornell and Ithaca College. We'll hear from Michael Farquh, graciously on loan to us from WVBR Sports, and Michael Memis from WICB.
11: And earlier I sat down with Zach Tucker, a sophomore on Cornell's men's hockey team. Sports don't only entertain us, but they empower us, they challenge us, and they bring us together. And this importance is not lost. Uh, Despite our current situation of mass and distancing, there is still hope. And that was the focus of conversation that began with us talking about the difficulties of finding out that this season was canceled. Come listen on our conversation. I remember that
8: day, I believe it was November, like really, really well. You know, it's something like we really didn't want to have happen really disappointing just because we knew like how much success we had last year. And we, um, most of the guys were coming back. We lost three seniors. So, and we had a strong freshman class coming. So we knew like, Hey, like we could really, if we got the chance to do the same thing again this year. Right. So it was really, really disappointing. Um, and I think all the guys that are here right now have kind of just used that as motivation to, you know, work hard every day and hopefully get back to that,
11: that point. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I know there's been a, a few announcements with the guys who won't be able to return, who who are seniors, mm-hmm. and so on. Have Have you kept in touch with any of the guys who have decided to, um, you know, either graduated last semester or or, or last uh, last spring and are now playing uh, in like the ECHL or AHL? Yeah, I mean, uh, like Tristan mullen scored last night. actually his
8: first AHL goal, so um, he had grad transferred um, last semester Vermont to you know give himself a chance to sign a contract, which was I'm super happy for him. He's a great guy. Um, like couldn't happen to a better person. So he's kind of one example of of that happening. And then, you know, Yanni called and Jeff a are both in the NHL doing really good things right now. So it's obviously cool. when like, you play with guys and you're in the locker room every day um, and you get the chance to like practice and play beside them and then see them go on into to the pro ranks. Right. And do um, really great things. And they're both ripping it up with their respective teams.
11: Did they have any like advice with regards to that or have any moments with regards to the outlook on, on all this and cancellation and difficulty yeah. or did they have, or maybe coach Schaefer.
8: Yeah. The coaching stuff's been like really, really positive. Um, we've been fortunate that like we've been out there skating with them um, every day. So anytime you can work with, you know, coach Schaefer who's been around for a long time, like knows what he's talking about. Such a great hockey mind um, as well with um, Ben Sire and Sean Flanagan, just really good, like assistant coaches who know like so much about the game and like every day is a great learning experience. Right. Yeah. Um, so as a freshman to sophomore, like transitions pretty tough because, um, you go from trying to figure it out your freshman year, understand the systems, understand like your role on the team and then sophomore year, um, you know, you want to make as big of an impact and that was kind of disappointing, but just kind of being able to get on the ice every day with them, like work out and, um, you know, just work on skills. They've been really encouraging, keeping it really positive. So it's been, it's been nice to have them around. Um, and we're fortunate enough to have them be able to skate with them every day.
11: Cornell is a top academic school. Um, so during this time were you able to have practices and and still get some hockey in and at the beginning, where it's mostly just like workout sessions, has, has your appreciation for hockey changed at all, um, with regards yeah. to how valuable it can be? You always kind of take, we like last year, especially just took for granted, you know, going to the rink
8: every day, um, you know, preparing one of your Thursday for the Friday, Saturday games. And this year is just so much different. Um, you really, I think it, people who love the game of hockey were able to, um, you know, take this time and work on their skills, which our team has done. I mean, like every guy in the room, like loves showing up to the rink every day. We have a great culture on the team. Guys like hanging out with each other. You know, we like kind of pushing each other in practice. You know, we get a couple a couple extra shots here and there to keep it interesting. But, um, like you really have to love hockey to, to be in the position that, that we are in right now. Um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting position to be in, I'll, I'll say that, but it's been fun just kind of doing like individual skill stuff, um, and just work on yourself, um, and just trying to push yourself every day and like work on the individual skills, um, from that perspective.
11: I think for all of us, we've kind of found different ways we've seen, we've taken some things for granted, but, um, you know, speaking of, or I talked about obviously the success of the, the team last year, um, uh, Every year, it seems to be, you know, some dominance at home ice. And I think there's a big part of that, obviously, to the players, but as well, the having such a committed crowd as like the line of faithful. What is it like, you know, being a player and playing in such a, in front of such a committed and, and dedicated crowd? It's, it, it makes such like a world of
8: difference, like being at home at Linea. on my visit, um, I came and I watched us play Princeton. And I knew like right then and there, like, I have to play at the school. Like I need to be in front of like this atmosphere night in and night out. When like we're walking down from the tunnel, you can hear like the band playing. You can kind of like just feel like how much momentum and just like the atmosphere. Like it's, it, it, the first time I experienced it was special. Um, and I, I, I mean, I already got talks about it. Like when we're at the rank every day, like, man, like we can't wait to like get back yeah, down, like have the fans there. Cause when that place is like rocking, like it was against like Harvard and, you know, we had a lot of sellouts last year. Like it's just like such a huge momentum boost for us. Um, Cause we see like everyone's into it and we're like, man, like we got to like score like the next goal and like get a win for, for everyone involved.
11: We'll hopefully be able to get back to you guys playing um, mm. this fall. And what are some of the things maybe not quite obvious that you're looking forward to getting back to?
8: Yeah. I think like the, like number one, we just kind of touched on. is like the fans, like walking down the tunnel is it's such like a special feeling um so that's like the first thing just being back in lina um and i'm just like playing games again um like it's such like a big piece like you grow up like playing hockey like every winter like you have to rank practicing but then like you work the weekends so you can go like win games and like score goals and um have fun out there so obviously like playing the games will be like another big part of it um and kind of just like a like an aspect i think that, like people like don't maybe realize is just like the Thursday nights, like getting ready for games. Like we all have like our routines. Like last year, like some guys would, you know, like have dinner together. Some guys would just like, you know, take their time, like call their parents. And um like the Thursday nights like the Friday mornings before the games is something like I'm really looking forward to. And just kind of like that feeling, like that like gut feeling you have, like you're like so pent up with nerves, and like you said, you get the rings all go away. Um, those kind of the three things, like just like the fans, mm-hmm. um, you know, playing games and then just kind of game day, game day routines, I guess, you know, I think I'm looking forward to.
11: Thank you, Zach. And as we all wait for the coming months to when we can finally cheer on Cornell athletes again, it's exciting to announce that Ithaca College has already returned to its spring sports, further brightening the light at the end of the tunnel, which is this post-pandemic world.
1: Here's a segment of reporter Michael Memmes' interview with tennis coach Chris Hayes of Ithaca College. Okay. Well, uh, hi, Coach Chase. Um, but I guess, how did it feel doing a game for these teams?
17: You know, it's just a great to be back out competing. You know, as you know, as a team, especially for the women, this being our first match in over a year. Uh, you, you know, we performed. I thought we performed well. You know, we handled handled ourselves well out there, and uh, it was just really nice. You know, being back and playing and playing another team, and not just playing ourselves what would you say the biggest obstacle for the team in the Liberty league is the competition is is thick right now um but Skidmore's the best team in the conference obviously I mean navigating COVID is is unknown to is difficult you know for for everybody for all parties involved all it takes is you know one one mistake or one case and you know it, it can it can blow up in your face but uh all you can do is take it day by day and whatever obstacles come, come with it, you know, you just, you deal with it and you, you move forward. Uh, now, speaking of COVID, I know it's led to a shortened schedule and you also not being able to play in the fall. Does mm-hmm. um, that kind of how affect how you've approached this season? Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, not having a fall season and like our off-season strength and conditioning program has definitely affected um, our or play. Um I'm just looking forward to you know whenever covid ends. <laughs> um, that way we can you know we can get back to a normal season. You know I've got my I've got my schedule for next year you know more or less finalized and you know, I'm really excited about it but you know hopefully all of this uh you know hopefully I'll be able to execute it as as well. So I'm really just I'm excited for the future of of the men's and the women's programs and just get you know, just grinding out this this semester from WICB and
11: WVBR News. I'm Michael Farcu.
0: Thanks for listening to Talk of the Town this week, and I hope you enjoyed this special collaborative episode with the WICB News Department.
1: Thanks to Himadri Safe, Christian Maitri, Celine Tutar, Vidal Akari, and Michael Memis from WICB.
0: And thank you to Clara Enders, Izzy Fribata, Jade Ovadia, and Michael Farku from WVBR.
1: Be sure to listen to our news program, Ithaca Now, airing on WICB at 7 p.m. on Sundays. And you can find it on your favorite podcast app, where you can also find our long form interview show about this. And you can also follow us on social media at WICB News.
0: And you'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WVBRFM News and back here for Talk of the Town on 93.5 every Saturday at 3 p.m. For WICB and WVBR News, I'm Grace Fairchild.
1: And I'm Jay Bradley.
0: how did you get vaccinated? Come back here. I I hate
16: this. I have to write up a script.